the conscious mind can accept or reject. We say we like something, we don't like something, we can have that conscious choice. The subconscious mind, on the other hand, has no choice but to accept what is impressed upon it. And so that's why it's really important to become extremely careful, mindful, and choose what you allow the impressions of your subconscious mind to accumulate because then that becomes the constitution of your mind. This is Awakened Love, the podcast, and I'm your host, Angel. This is a space where we get real, real about sex, love, and awakening. So strap in, let's go deep. What's up, beautiful awakened humans, and welcome to another episode of Awakened Love. I'm your host, Angel, and today we are joined by a very special guest, Andre DeQuoom, who is a storyteller, a content creator, a spiritual guide, and also the owner of Meraki Media, which is the podcast production company that produces this very podcast. He has a podcast of his own called Know Thyself, where he stewards conversations of awakening and empowerment and brings spiritual concepts in a digestible and transformative format. And we're very lucky to have him here today, diving into all the juicy topics. So I'm excited to wrap your ears around it and strap in for the journey with Andre de Quim. What's up, sweet brother? Thank you for being here and welcome to the show. My honor. Thank you so much for having me, Angel. So you actually produce this podcast with Meraki Media and you have your own podcast, Know Thyself. Is that the name? Did I get it right? Yes, that's true. Yeah. So it's kind of fun to have you here as well. You're in, you're behind the curtain. You're in front of the curtain. <laughs> Absolutely. So for people who don't know you, um, who is Andre? <laughs> hashtag podcast daddy <laughs> I'm, uh, it's, it's funny because i uh yeah i have my own production company meraki media and we help people produce behind the scenes you know we do all the back-end operations for people's shows and content creators who want to um, have a podcast have a professional platform in which they can share messages of awakening uh, but they just need help supporting a professional frame around it so i started that company three years ago and it's been an incredible journey, something that I cherish so much and that I get so much fulfillment from, especially being able to get to work with friends like yourself. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of practice being able to support people with their own channels and their own content uh, mediums. And I just really love this understanding, and I guess, framework of media as medicine, the message, the power that our messages can have and how blessed we are to be so interconnected across the globe. And on one hand, we're the most disconnected we've ever been, but on the other, we are literally the most connected digitally we've ever been. And with that comes a great power. And with that comes responsibility, to quote Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I see the, the firsthand, the impact and the power, the possibility of media and how it can transform people's lives, because I've experienced that with myself. I mean, whoever's listening to this, I'm sure you've watched a movie or a documentary or seen a, a podcast or a piece of film that has just transformed the way that you view the world. And I, I've experienced that many times firsthand. And I know that um, that power is so very real. It's very viscerally felt within my own being. And I wanna empower conscious creators to spread messages of awakening to support the, you know, the, the raising consciousness on this planet that's happening right now. And so over the past seven months, I've been fortunate enough to really put my passions into my own podcast, Know Thyself, which, has been my favorite thing. You know, it's been something that I really truly felt wanted to come through me, not just from me, but like that life was asking me for to create something that had my unique, you know, fingerprint, my soul's unique 
fingerprint to create this show in, in the way that only I could kind of do and create from from the guests that I bring on to the type of questions and conversationship conversations that I want to have to the aesthetic and how it's produced and all of it. And so, yeah, I've long story short, been on this path of self-realization and truth seeking for a while. And now I get to infuse that and uh, create media that really gets to support individuals that want to, you know, come on me with, uh, on that journey with me. Mm. Yeah. I love that media as medicine. And you were talking about how, you know, we're the most disconnected and yet connected we've ever been. How do you navigate that creative tension between this massive disconnect? I'm sure, again, everyone listening can resonate with this sense of, yeah, media and social media not helping us to be the most connected and enlightened. And yet there are also times, as you said, in which it awakens us. And I mean, I've connected with teachers and friends and it's given me so much as well. How do you navigate that creative tension between connection and disconnection through media? Yeah, I mean, ultimately the answer to so many of our problems is one, just first larger awareness and then practice and implementation of that awareness and integrating it into our embodied experience. So having gaining awareness on our relationship to all things around us, all life, whether it's individuals, humans, or social media and our phones, like it's a double-edged sword. It can use us or we can use it. And so it's great that we have the power to be able to use it in conscious ways and use it as a tool for education. But this little infinity box in our pocket also is very capable with large corporations literally um, researching how to keep you as addicted on the platform for as long as possible. They'll do the scrolling for you. You don't have to do a whole lot other than just keep getting dopamine served into your brain. And so it's just understanding and having it in, uh, in its place, in its proper context and using it as a tool. And so I love that we have it. I love how connected it makes us. And um, it's just our developing that awareness with the relationship we have to it. Um, so it doesn't continue to use us. So mm. it creates a tremendous amount of possibility. And I try to keep that in the forefront. And, you know, there's this saying that the heavy chains of worry are forged in idle hours. And when you don't have a lot going on in your life, or maybe you aren't filled your schedule isn't filled with things that are purpose-driven and work that you're excited to do um you're gonna go towards what is easily what, what you get pleasure from most easily mm -hmm. and so whether that's pornography or whether that's social media or whether, that, whether that's uh, food or a snack there's so many different ways in which we can try to seek pleasure and really what that is is reducing the tension that we feel from within the pain that we can't seem to bear from self and so the more that we gain awareness on that, the more we can develop a healthy relationship to it. And, uh, and then it's just a process, you know, it's, it's progress over perfection. Mm. Um, it's, it's an interesting dynamic that we have. I think every generation is faced with their own problems unique to that generation. And this is just one of ours. You very peripherally brought something up that I realized we've never actually discussed on this podcast, and that is pornography. And I'm so curious on your perspective. Yeah. Yeah, so my understanding in terms of like my framework and how I perceive pornography is there's there's a couple of things. I don't know where we're gonna go here, but let's go for it. Um, <laughs> Neither did I, honestly. But I'm like, let me pull that thread. <laughs> yeah. So, and you know, in the in the yogic sciences um, and on the path of awakening, there's something. Uh, there's a Sanskrit word called sanskaras, and these are the impressions that we accumulate 
throughout our five sensory body, right? So anything that we're intaking through our five senses, they leave an impression on us. Now, the conscious mind can accept or reject. We say we like something, we don't like something, we can have that conscious choice. The subconscious mind, on the other hand, has no choice but to accept what is impressed upon it. And so that's why it's really important to become extremely careful, mindful, and choose what you allow the impressions of your subconscious mind to accumulate because then that becomes the constitution of your mind. So is there inherently something wrong with anything? No, it's our relationship to it. Now, I find it very difficult to have a conscious relationship with something like pornography mm. because it's it's something so easily to slip into an unconscious compulsive behavior with. Mm. And the impressions that are left on, like what are the messages you're getting constantly from pornography? Um, there's all these messages of how we relate to our own sexuality in very unhealthy, disconnected ways. And so if you watch pornography every day, multiple times a day, if you develop addiction towards it, your lens on reality will then change to perceive women and relationships and human beings in a more tainted, lustful way. Mm. Is that bad or is that good? I just don't think it's ideal. I don't want to have this perception <laughs> of um, that that kind of tainted lens on reality and not be able to truly connect with people, but being a perverted kind of um, perception of life around me. And mm. so I just, I, whenever I decide to see my, you know, and choose whether I'm like going to do something or not do something, what is the effect that it really has on myself and how I perceive the world? And then I can choose whether I want to engage with it at all or if I want to engage with it in a certain context and and have that choice from that point forward. But, you know, uh, it's an interesting one to navigate. We have the human animal within us. We can't uh, throw our biology under the rug. And it's important to uh, develop a healthy relationship with it just like it is with everything. Mm, yeah, very, very well put. I think it's what comes to mind is this idea of like, what are we optimizing for? And it reminds me of social media in a way. That's kind of, I think, obviously why we brought that thread up in the first place is, yeah, you can have a healthy relationship to it, but there are certain things that are more challenging to actually have a healthy relationship with. And there's an exception to every rule and there are contexts within which everything can be used in a high expression. Like the thing that I think of is, let's say, a couple watching ethically produced, usually, and I'm biased here, female produced, created pornography, things like X art. There are some really amazing ethical producers out there watching it because they don't necessarily have um, the framework and they just want support in stimulating something new. It's like, cool, that's, that can be really beautiful. And there are many, many infinite ways that it can be used. But I think the point you bring up is really good. It's like, it, it is going to leave an impression and what are you optimizing for? And are you actually even aware of optimizing for anything through your relationship to that thing? So yeah, it's interesting. It's good to get um, your perspective on that. In the name of, you brought it up, like not sweeping our animal under the rug. You're an awakened man. You're a conscious motherfucker. <laughs> so how do you, speaking of like navigating the creative tension, which seems to be a... Oh, my mic. navigating the creative tension which seems to be a little bit of a theme appearing here how do you navigate that tension between the primal animal and the awakened like human dare i say soul how does that show up for you 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's so many, there's so many things that, that I can go into from this. Um, thanks for acknowledging me and the enlightened human being that I am and I'm woke and that I'm, <laughs> I've got it all you figured out. You earned it. Out. No, you don't have it all figured out, but you, you have earned, like when we do the work, it's good to acknowledge that. Like we do sure, earn yeah. our way into secure attachment. doesn't mean you're not a messy ass motherfucker. I'm sure you are, <laughs> but you're also a conscious man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it's just that path of um, always, always knowing that there's there's room to grow. And um, for me, my relationship with both, right? So there is, I love Ken Wilber's breakdown of growing up versus waking up. Mm. You can wake up beyond the illusion of who you are. You know, we become so identified with our own thoughts and emotions and thinking that the identity we assume we are is actually who we are. Now, as you go on this journey of creating distance between you and your thought and emotions, and you have a meditative practice, or you have some way to create stillness in your life and wake up beyond the illusory nature of who you have perceived yourself to be, you can start to see so much of the lies that you've been living. Now, that's important. If you just stay on that path for a long period of time and you don't do growing up, which a lot of people could you know, perceive as the shadow work, now, if you just do the waking up work and you can know yourself beyond the illusion of who you perceived yourself to be, and you don't do the growing up work, the shadow work to see what are my characterological defects that have been oftentimes imprinted upon me from childhood trauma or for whatever it is, then you could go on to become a guru. You could have a profound level uh, of awakening and experience of life, but there's going to be a lot of difficulties in relationships. A lot of people are going to be per perhaps on the other end of abusive behavior. And so that's just not it. If you're just going down the waking up in the self kind of realization path. Now I see it kind of you know encompassing and including all of it. If you just do the shadow work, if you're just staying on the never ending wheel of excavating what's deep within your subconscious, there is a never ending material and source of things that you can bring up, even from the planet. There's so much unconscious material that you could continue to work through. So. That's where a lot of people, um, sometimes in the plant medicine communities or that just do talk therapy, for example, can just stay within this, um, this, uh, this rat race of trying to continually improve the display of your experience of life. Mm. So the waking up context, I like to kind of give this analogy of who you are waking up beyond the illusory, illusory nature of, of how you perceive life is very much so like if you're going to go into a movie theater. Now, if you go to a movie, I went and saw Avatar 2 a couple months ago with a bunch of friends rented out a movie theater. We all go there, all the lights dim down, the music comes up, everybody's focus and attention is on the movie screen. Now, it's very enchanting. It's you get you get so enthralled with what's happening on the display of the experience. Now I'm using that screen as a display, as an analogy and metaphor for our own experience of life. If you were to take that same movie theater and put it out in a more vast field, like broad daylight, you project it out on a big screen. Now all of a sudden you're not as enchanted with the display of the experience. You're not as enamored with what's going on. If there's a plane that goes on overhead or you feel the sensation of grass on your feet or a dog's barking off in the distance, all of a sudden, you're not going to be so consumed with what's happening on the display of the experience. So if, it, if you're in a movie theater, if it's a sad movie, most people are going to be sad. If it's a happy movie, you're going to be happy. If you place whatever the content of your experience is in a larger context of awareness, 
for example, putting that movie theater screen in a larger context, like in a field, then you'll pay more attention when something more dense happens, like a big fight scene or some sort of explosion. But you're enjoying the ambiance of the display of the experience in which it's happening. So waking up to who you are on the path of self-realization is getting an embodied experience firsthand, viscerally, that this life very much so is an illusion of sorts in the fact that there is a constant arising and falling away of phenomena that is the ever-present fabric of reality. And it's going to continually be that. Our nature is impermanent. And so with that, we can take the experience of whatever we're going through in life, whether it's a breakup or a blissful moment of some sort of career high, um, any difficulty, blissful, challenging, whatever it is, we see the impermanent illusory nature of it. So we're not as attached to the expectation or the outcome. This is where the Buddhist view of non-attachment really comes in and helps us relieve our own suffering of life. On the other hand, right, if we're not doing the shadow work there, like I said, there's going to be all these characterological defects that are going to uh, really uh, create suffering for those around us. So I see both being inherently really valuable. One without the other is incomplete. And mm -hmm. to become a holistic, integrated um, human being, it's it's a path of both being and becoming. Mm. Wow, I love that. And I love Ken Wilber. So yes, 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 yes. I think there is yeah, creative tension between our ability to observe and be in that witness perspective and our ability to be in the embodied experience. And I find that that is even within just spiritual practice and as a seeker, like that there's this beautiful creative tension between being the experiencer, but yet not being over identified as the experiencer or with the experience or not being too disidentified and only in observation, which can lean in its shadow towards avoidance. Um, so yeah, it is, it's a beautiful dance. How do you implement that in your practice so that you're able to kind of tether between those two um, states, let's say? Yeah, well, I mean, really it's just living life, you know, on the, <laughs> on the side of waking up, you could do that alone in solitude, in solitary, in a cave, off in the mountains. You know, you can do that process. You can do that work. You can't do the growing up work without proper relationship to all life around you. Um, if you don't have the mirror of an experience of relationship through people or through objects or whatever it is in your life, you're not going to see what the issues are that come up. Like if you're single and you live in solitude your whole life, you don't have a relationship where your shit comes up. And so it's just living life. It's being in relationship, being in community, seeing where I have uh, the desire to keep control and be righteous over my own internal experience instead of my ability to be curious as to why things are the way they are, mm. whether I'm experiencing uh, you know, fear, greed, jealousy, any of the quote unquote, what people would perceive as negative emotions and getting to gain clarity on that. And so it's just a process of living life and gaining awareness via reflection in the mirrors of our external reality. And, mm -hmm. and then for, you know, the waking up side, I've just created a devotional practice that I, I don't know what it is, maybe it's certain individuals that I've met where I've just experienced a level of clarity from a pure system and what it's like to develop um, this kind of effervescence presence that this like this presence where you can live life and not be so bogged down by um, external trappings like so many people 
um, have been and, and continually are in modern society, especially. And so I think I saw that and I realized how fast time really does pass. And, you know, one day we're all going to wake up, you know, God willing, knock on wood in our 70s, 80s and 90s. And the time is going to pass. What we do and the environment we um, nurture ourselves in becomes a constitution of who we are and, and how we develop. And so I, you know, saw that from an early age and decided that if I could create a disciplined devotional practice where it was a non-negotiable, where every day minimum, I'm going to have a practice that helps me cultivate me knowing myself at a deeper level, then over time, that's just going to be the, the result. That's going to be the consequence of the actions I take. If you do the right things, the right things will happen to you in life. And so that's what I really instilled over the past seven years where I haven't missed a day of my morning practice. And that's evolved and what that's changed and looked like over years from Vipassana to different Kriyas and breath work and, and uh, emptiness meditations, all, all the different tools that I use now. But having, uh, having a practice where you can have that discipline, devotional time for you to know more of who you are um, is just so pivotal to, to really actually learning more about yourself over time because it, it is a process. It is, um, it does take time and being able to choose that for yourself and stay committed to it, that consistent per, you know, that consistent aligned action over a sustained period of time will lead you to some wild places in life within internally and externally. Yeah. We don't get to skip it. There's just no way around it. Everyone listening has heard me say it so many times and my clients hear me say it all the time. It's I personally have never met anyone with from whom I want to deeply learn. And of course I learn from everyone and everything, whether I want it or not, but the people who, from whom I'm like, wow, I want to be around your nervous system. I want to learn from you are people who have a devoted daily practice. It's just, you just don't get to skip it. Um, yeah. So beautiful to hear you discuss that you touched on it, but I'm curious in this moment and I'm sure it continually evolves and um, shifts, but uh, how did you wake up this morning? What, what did your practice look like? This past week has been pretty crazy for me. I had four podcasts last week and then the past three days I've been in a yogasana teacher training or um, kind of yoga training thing with Isha um, here in LA. And so I just got back last night from three days intensive of learning all these different asana practices. Um, and so this morning I woke up, I turned on my sauna and I did my practice out in the sun. And um, I did I did my Shambhavi Mahamudra, which is like a 25-minute practice and um, different uh, yoga, my yoga practice. And sometimes that expands into other things such as breath work, such as uh, different kriyas, which I don't I don't um, I don't have to say the names of right now, but um, after that, I threw on a podcast that I was reviewing. I hopped in the sauna at 175 degrees and sweated my, my butt off for 25 minutes. And then um, cold plunge is getting fixed right now. So I took a cold shower, got ready and uh, did some other things. But now I'm here. So it's, it's some form of my meditation practice and my devotional practice before I touch my phone. And I think that's the biggest key is... 
if your brain jumps to different brain states right when you go onto your phone first thing in the morning, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. And it's just so important to have a cue that after you exit the bathroom first thing and waking up in the morning, you go and you sit on your mat or in front of your altar or whatever it is, and you, you create that space for yourself. And then you just set yourself up for a different level of energetic presence for the rest of the day. So that's what mine today was look like uh, looked like, and it looks like some form of that every day. Mm, yeah, that's how you develop that inner infrastructure, that energetic infrastructure to be able to um, withstand life with a level of presence and engagement. Yeah. Um, you were talking about a, a little before you were describing kind of relating to everything, just being in life and being in relationship. I'm curious what has been most impactful? Maybe it's been... Um, a piece of advice or maybe it was a book or a teacher or a tool, but what, what has been most impactful for you around relationship mastery? I think gaining awareness and clarity onto how we relate to everything in our life is that's the most important quote unquote relationship. It's like our relationship to relationship in general. <laughs> and it's important to gain awareness of where the desires within us are coming from. It's an inherent part of being human we couldn't exist without desire as a fundamental framework for existing. Now, having the understanding that you go into relationship, let's take romantic partnership, for example, not to extract joy, but to experience joy. Mm. Oftentimes, when we're in the seeking of a more pleasurable experience than we are currently going through, we are going to be dependent on somebody showing up the way that we want them to for us. That's not actually relating. That's relating with the version of ourselves that we're projecting onto somebody. And when you see that, it can be so painful because you realize you've been living a lie and you actually haven't been loving somebody for who they are, for their being. And so it's important to create compassion and space for the parts of ourselves that have done this. It's part of being human. It's part of the journey. And when you see that, then it completely changes how you go into relationship. You are no longer going into when you meet somebody or you're in exchange with a dial in a dialogue or conversation saying, what can I get from this, this person? But there is this natural urge to give. We want to show up in service. We want to show how we can share love. And that doesn't mean that we can't receive love from the other person in the times where, um, you know, our cup is empty, but to not go into relationship under the illusion, thinking that we are going to find our happiness, peace, joy outside of us, period, let alone in another person. That is a recipe for disaster. Oftentimes it takes being in those dynamics to realize that it doesn't work, <laughs> to then <laughs> wake up to the fact of how it actually can work. And so it's a process of awakening and growing up and waking up like we spoke to. Um, but uh, having that understanding is really important. So when it goes into food, or like we spoke to pornography or anything that we're seeking pleasure from. Uh, Carl Jung said that pleasure is simply tension reduction, meaning we are trying to reduce the tension from being. And inherent in the Declaration of Independence, it even says in the pursuit of happiness, meaning that happiness is somewhere external that we'll get once we create a display of our experience that we're, that we're happy with. Now, I get, the, I get the, the ethos of it. I get how that's important in rallying a nation to uh, adopt a consumerist mindset and all the things. And if we are continually, continually in the pursuit of something that we always have within us, 
It's like a, a dog chasing his tail. And, and so having that Hungry awareness, ghosts. having that under, yeah, exactly. So having that awareness, having that understanding, um, and it is a process again, progress over perfection where we can have these insights. We can wake up to these truths and have these awareness. And then we put it into practice in our own daily life where we go into relationship and you do a self check-in of when you share a reflection or you're in conversation or you want to make for an ask, you get to see where is it coming from? Mm. So I'll just pause there. Yes. Oh my gosh. I mean, there's so much in that. It's a life's work, I think, really. And so much of the healing opportunity to heal the attachment injuries we have around our needs and desires and feelings and that authentic expression and that recognition that ultimately, as you say, like we have the capacity now that we are adults to meet those needs internally and to give ourselves that without putting the pressure of the expectation on the other person, which people are afraid, like, well, if I, if I meet these needs myself, then I don't want to, I want other people to meet them. And it's like, well, people are actually much more likely to be able to meet your needs when you're, when it's a respectful desire instead of this heavily charged, uh, unmet need. My goddess, there is so, so, so much there. What do you do when you catch yourself? I mean, I'm hearing you talk about a self check-in, but if people are listening and they're going, Ooh, <laughs> ooh! I'd be doing that. Uh, <laughs> what What do you do when you catch yourself in that moment? Is it just a self check in? Is there anything more? What if not only What if you don't even catch yourself in it? You're already acting it out. Let's say in a relationship, how do you repair? Well, you know, part of just the inherent nature of unconscious behavior is that it's unconscious. You're not aware of it, right? And so, for if it's gotten to that point, then it takes reflection. So if something's already been done, then it takes some sort of reflective practice or even just internal thought dialogue of contemplation of how I could show up better. Now, when you catch it in real time, that is, that's the first step. You have that awareness where it's like, I, okay, I, I see this and I see that I'm bullshitting myself and to just continually see something like that. Once you shine the light of awareness on something repeatedly over time, it's just the evolution of it is inevitable. It will grow to the pace place one day where it's integrated and no longer an issue but to first just say i see you like have that be a mantra i see you i see you mm. i see you and when you see the parts of yourself that you've unconsciously disowned that are part of your persona then you start to have a deeper inquiry as to maybe why that has become um, a fabric of your existence and of your reality it's not always also necessary to pinpoint the ex exact story of where it came from, but those parts of ourselves just need loving awareness. And so if we can apply and feel into having loving awareness for those parts of ourselves that we shame, you know, it really comes down to that fear of fully feeling something for what's like 60 or 90 seconds and we blow it up to be this big crazy thing, but it's just something that wants to be seen. It wants to be felt mm -hmm. and, and then it can be let go. And if you're fortunate enough to be in a conscious relationship or a divine union where that can be held space for, where it's not just constantly my shadow versus your shadow and we're going to fight it out to the death to see who's right um, and who can win this argument, but it's like me and you against our neuroses, whatever the issue <laughs> is. It's like, let's work as a team to move through whatever is going on within within the, the issues that are happening. And 
that becomes a beautiful catalyst for growth if we're fortunate enough to develop those relationships. But first, often I find we have to do the internal work to even become a magnet to those experiences and relationships to come in, in the first place. Absolutely. Like we need the tools and the time on the tools to be able to show up in those interactions where you want to lean out and you choose to lean in. You want to choose your neuroses, but you choose love because we can't expect that of ourselves if we haven't had any practice or support or tools or time in devotional space developing awareness it's just like that would be almost unfair to expect of ourselves the good news is anyone can get there little by little and also that repair is always available which i like to remind people it's okay if you in fact it's very valuable if you catch yourself in those experiences even after those those um, triggers or moments of being regressed there's always 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 opportunity for repair and ultimately sometimes you won't get opportunity to repair with a person they might not no longer be in this realm. They might no longer be in this life, but you always have opportunity to repair with yourself. So yeah, I think it's interesting what you're touching on. It's like this idea of, um, yeah, consciousness and awareness. And I think what I see a lot of people doing in relationship is they're signaling instead of communicating because they're not fully aware of the neuroses and the underlying needs and desires that they're trying to manipulate to get the other person to do the thing or say the thing or be the thing such that the need they think they have will be met. And I hear what you're talking a lot about is this like awareness of the come from allows you to go, wow, I really want that. Whether that's a healthy desire, a reasonable desire or expectation or demand. Now I see it. Like you're saying, I see you. Okay. Now I can actually work with that, but we have to be willing to expose the ugly truth to ourselves. And I think that can be really hard because um, it's hard that the parts of us that, that are quote unquote, hardest to love or ugliest or have the most shame and yet often hold uh, the most power. How do you navigate conflict? We're talking a lot about like relating and seeing. And I mean, is that even something you still experience in, in, your, in your experience? And if you do, what does that look like? How do you navigate it? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I'm always here for conscious conversations, um, for difficult conversations, opportunities to grow. Um, in terms of like specifically romantic partnerships, I personally, I just wouldn't get into a romantic partnership at this point with somebody who isn't taking full responsibility for their own experience of life. And that doesn't, you know, you could show up somebody as a coach or you could show up in the relationship as a partner and it depends how, how they want to relate and you could actually ask them that. Um, for me, it's being in partnership with somebody that can take conscious responsibility and ownership for whatever my stuff is to at least start by acknowledging that. Um, and then it takes two people to, to dissolve the own internal fight for self-righteousness that you need to be right about whatever your experience of life is and to create a curiosity around it. And so, yeah, at this point, I, whether it's, you know, I'm just navigating it, dealing with it, or I just am at the point where I don't kind of, uh, attract that, that kind of more visceral, gross kind of, uh, conflict. I'm always here for the healthy discussions, constructive criticism and difficult moments. Um, but those challenging moments don't necessarily have to be hard when you are, when you bring an energy of openness to it. Mm. And so, yeah, I haven't gotten in like a, uh, like where I've had to raise my voice in an argument or conflict and I don't know how long. Um, 
but yeah, just it's it's what we spoke to earlier about a relationship with everything, with anything and all the relationships in our life, how we can come into it from a place of knowing who you are. And then you're not under, there's really not this possibility of pretending, continually pretending you're, you are who you're not when you know that there's a larger context of, you know, in which you exist. So at a certain point when you kind of wake up to the truth and that's an ever evolving path, but there's a certain point when you can have an embodied, embodied experience of that where a lot of the plights and you know challenges that a lot of people would experience just cease to exist in the form that they had. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think you're just like, at least I can, I can only share from my ex personal experience as Angel is I just have gotten better at tracking my reactions. Doesn't mean that I'm perfect, you know, I've been with my husband six years. So we, it has to, we very rarely argue. We've definitely been through a period in the last little while where we're navigating bigger challenges, which brings up more content. And you're like, ooh, baby, okay. Like here's more to work with. But if you're showing up to do the work, then it's, it's, it's difficult, but it's not, um, it doesn't have to be as hard as it once was in previous relationships where it's like total chaos. And it's like, as you say, every, each person is just pretending to be who they're not. It's not even aware of the pretending. It's just like an absolute shit show. But at least in these moments where a, I know what my intention is. My intention is to show up with an unguarded heart. Like I just, I don't want, I, there's nothing to defend. And if I can track in myself, which I do, I'm like, Ooh, I'm, I'm actually starting to guard my heart right now. Like I need either and, and what's interesting is I used to need space and what I'm noticing and, and hey, like I could have my ass humbled this afternoon. We don't know. But what I'm noticing is that um, the, the deeper I track that, the more I'm actually able in conversation to track like, oh, I'm I don't actually need space in this moment. I'm able to track that I'm guarding. And can I just choose a different choice right now to actually drop the armor because I'm tracking it? And that's not like some superhuman power. That's literally, I think what you've been describing is just awareness. If we're actually just aware of it, then we can choose something else. And we all have that capacity, um, which is exciting. And that we don't have to relate in these really difficult, painful ways that have been perpetuated for so long and oftentimes that we've inherited and that we can just put down. Like we don't have to carry that anymore. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there is, I mean, it's not something you necessarily want to hear in the moment when you're so triggered by something, but when you have some space from it and you can realize that our triggers are here to teach us something, then we can be excited when actually something happens. And the more that you go on that path of self-realization and burning away the layers and lies of who you're not, the more you get excited when there's a piece that arises that's not integrated. You're like, oh, an opportunity for growth. Because you've gone through that cycle of death and rebirth. You know what's on the other side of releasing who you're not. And it simply is more of who you actually are. So why mm -hmm. that's exciting is because you've discovered who more, more of who you are. That's the greatest thing you'll ever find in your life. That's so much more life becomes available to you. And then you can start to actually invite that in and, and walk towards the fire of self-transformation. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then that, the next time a trigger comes up, you actually look inwards right away instead of compulsively reactively pointing towards something that is the reason for the trigger you're like whoa i'm, I'm triggered by something let me take a deep breath like let me mm. tune in for a second and mm. that space between the stimulus and the response that space there there is that's the opportunity for growth mm. and unless we have that space 
There's just the trigger and there's the outcome and the consequence in our external reality. There's no real room for conscious exploration. Mm. And, and so we've been speaking a lot of to a lot today about the dynamics and how we kind of go about raising that consciousness. But um, yeah, I love what you said. I think it's just an important framework. Mm. And I just want to speak to, I want to give grace in this moment for anyone who's listening and is like, maybe feeling a little overwhelmed by the amount of unconscious material or like, whoa, I've got a lot of triggers or whoa, I'm doing a lot of that in my relationships. And I think in those stages, um, just giving us a lot of grace, focusing on what Andre was talking about, like start with a small daily practice. Even if you just caught yourself in reactivity and chose to look inward as you're describing one out of every 20 times, then it will be two out of every 20 and you'll start to tip the scale slowly, 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 slowly. And then you will absolutely one day arrive in a space that you're describing, which is that space where you're like, ooh, something exciting. Oh, oh, I'm actually triggered. And my mentor says, you know, sometimes we do such a good job of creating stability and safety and love. And sometimes that actually obstructs, um, you know, there are super covert, deep hidden patterns that feel almost hidden in the safety or, or the, the, the life you've created. I'll speak for myself. And yet lately I've been doing really deep healing work that I'm actually in exactly what you're describing where I'm like, Oh wow, that's still there. Oh my God, that's been covert. And you get to have that excitement and every person can have that experience. And if you're like feeling really far from that, that is so okay. I was so far from that for so long, honey. Um, <laughs> you can just do a little, little, little bit at a time. Baby steps, incremental. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I love, I love that invitation to just honor your path fully wherever you're at right now and not to idealize some level of awakened existence, just to be where your feet are. And as you grow on your journey, those challenges become more and more subtle and um, they take they take really big things, you know, um, to, to shake you up in the same way, like a big breakup with a long-term partnership or a more visceral death, like, those those times that are really like that really test you i find you know it's all bullshit until it's tested in the fire those are the real opportunities for growth um and so wherever you're at right now just be where your feet are and as you grow on your journey the opportunities for that become far and few between so um you know cherish cherish where you're at yeah, enjoy it weirdly <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah for sure can we talk a little bit about the difference between devotion and motivation Sure. Yeah. So how, yeah, I guess what's coming up in this moment is that especially in the Western society, we live in a very capitalist, um, patriarchal system where we are taught and it's propagated and romanticized that if you want more in life, that you have to do more and that to do more, you need to be motivated because oftentimes you only need to be motivated to do something that you're really not stoked on doing in the first place. If there's something that's genuinely pulling you, then you're going to go in that direction. Instead of internally feeling like you have to push yourself, what is what is pulling you in your life? And that takes the deep work over a sustained amount of time. And like we've been speaking to, burning away these lies and these narratives that you picked up from society or from your family of who you think you should be. Once you start to quiet that and you find stillness and you go in nature and you do the deep work and you uh, excavate the shadow material and you wake up beyond your small identification with a limited identity, then what starts to become available to you is a much 
larger horizon of possibility and life's intelligence wants to move through you. And that's where I feel like devotion and this devotional way of being can actually come online. When you feel that, it is the best feeling of life in life, in my experience, the more I find a path of alignment where I'm literally waking up and stoked to do what I'm doing, I'm getting pulled into something that is inherently feeling like it's a service to the planet, but it's also making me feel like I'm I'm useful. I'm useful in this existence. I'm putting my my gifts and my skill sets together. I love it and, and I can get rewarded and financially compensated for it. And it's just, it encompasses it all. It takes a path to get to that point, right? And so it takes doing the work. And I, I had um, had a conversation over dinner a couple of weeks ago with Gabor Mate, and I really love this dis- distinction uh, between uh, your calling and being driven. Mm. Now, being driven oftentimes has kind of unconscious motives that are that are beneath the scenes, right? And it's just something that you feel like you compulsively need to do. Being called to something, you can pick up the phone or not, but it's your choice. And so the difference between what are we being driven towards in life versus what are we being called? What do you feel like life is asking of me? When you find that voice and you start to listen to it, and the more that you pick up that phone, the more that you realize that God's talking on the other line and that you want to keep picking that up, you realize that the universe rewards people who are moving with life's intelligence in that way and that more opportunity and abundance the universe wants to conspire to support individuals who are living in their dharma. And so that devotional way of being comes online when you start to unravel and discover what your unique dharma is. And so it's it's a process. It's a constant state life is of, contra- of contraction and expansion. There's going to be parts of our lives where we feel like we have to have this drive to financially sustain ourselves or our families or those around us. And I totally make space for that. Like that. That's important to honor where you're at. And as you start to create a life for yourself where you have more choice and you start to reclaim what genuinely lights you up in life, then you can answer that calling more and more. And that devotional way of being to where it's not even a choice anymore. It's like that choiceless choice of feeling like you wake up and life is pulling you in a direction <laughs> that way of living is much more enjoyable than just being driven by all these unconscious desires. Mm. Yeah, that that has moved me really deeply, Andre, like really. Yeah. Mm. And it's interesting because um, I wanted to ask you a question earlier and you just answered it without me asking it, which I love which was around this idea of, cause I'm a tantrika, you know, I, I believe in pleasure as medicine. And we talked a lot about like the shadow side of the cheap cheeseburger version of the dopamine hit and the, you know, but I, I really wanted to get to, to touching on um, what is, what is that pleasure that is sacred alignment that is like, what's the healthy high expression of joy and bliss that is a natural state. And I think, you just, you just dished it, honey. That's it right there. Nothing, nothing, nothing feels better than alignment and allowing the creative intelligence of the universe to rip through you and penetrate you and come through you and live as you. And um, wow, wow, wow. So beautiful. You touched a little bit on, yeah, this idea of creative intelligence, that life is has an intelligence. Can you speak to that a little more? Sure, yeah. I mean, 
I'm somebody who really loves Eastern philosophy. And also, I just want to say that it was so beautiful what you just shared and to see like how you're touched by that. I just, um, I'm really excited and just fortunate and, and blessed we get to drop in like this. Um, and I'm excited to continue the dialogue off camera all, always. Um, mm. But in, in the study of, of Eastern religion and philosophy, there's not a whole lot of talk about our creativity and how we are creative beings. And I think it's such a large part of our journey, you know, for me, how I express myself creatively. <laughs> I mean, if you just look at nature, our creator is the most intelligent thing ever. You see the spectrum of which all life, plant and animal species exist. It's truly mind blowing, you know, the intricate inherent sacred geometry that is interwoven within all of life is mind boggling. And <laughs> we are nature, you know, it's, it's actually really funny. If you look up the definition of nature, it says that uh, it's like all plant and life phenomena around us as opposed to humans or human creations. It's, it's crazy oh, to hear in the English so dictionary sad. that, yeah, we've excluded ourselves from nature. And that philosophy is interwoven in how we <laughs> I know right <laughs> it's crazy it's crazy and that feeds into the narrative of viewing a tree as a resource and a piece of wood instead of another life you know and so it feeds into the capitalistic mindset that you know drives our economic economic systems to a large degree and so that's there but when we do actually realize that we are nature and that life is intelligent and we start to tap into this alignment and find devotion and make space for what wants to come through us, then you'll find that whatever you're doing in life, whether it is something more in the, I guess, public speaking realm of podcasting and speaking on stages, um, or if it's art and painting and music, or if it's being a school teacher, or if it's being a basket weaver, <laughs> whatever your craft is that you love to do it, you can infuse life's intelligence and that joy that can come through it. And then you can create what only you uniquely can create. Because if you look at all life around us, they are, they are one of one. They are their own expression of life. We are one of one. We are our own expression of life. When we realize that, when we come to terms with it, when we find what wants to come through us, then we can have creations that not, that were in the unmanifest, but because we became who we actually are and we realized that we became that energy, then the manifestation of that becomes possible and we can bring from the unmanifest into the manifest and we can alchemize and go through that process of creation. Mm -hmm. And through that process, it's some of the most rewarding things because then you can become like a channel you're like a conduit for a greater intelligence to move through you and then you'll surprise the hell out of yourself about you know with what comes through you whether it's writing whether it's in spoken dialogue through podcasting or you're creating a beautiful piece of music or art like all those things that we spoke to um it's uh when you feel like you're not just intellectually figuring out what is going to be perceived as profound but you weave with life and a deeper intelligence that is profound inherently. And so when we get ourselves out of the way and we find this unconscious competence with how life wants to use us, then that's when life gets really fun and you can be super surprised on the journey of where that takes you. Mm, I love that you brought up the idea of surprise because isn't that op the, like, the opposite of control? And like 
as a recovered and recovering try hard, honey, I'm like, <laughs> this lesson is, has been such nectar. My word last year was listen. And wow, for me, really wholly devoting myself to being in a state of receptivity and just listening did I get to experience such rich richness? I'm like, oh baby, just let go, let go, honey. And that part of me is like, I can't. <laughs> and now I just like have so much love and compassion for it. But it's so beautiful because you're right. Like when we're not so busy trying to control, life surprises us. And we're not like, oh, that's a terrible, awful thing. We're like, wow, what a wild and surprising adventure. And then I love that you brought up like, we will surprise ourselves. Like you, we don't even know what we're capable of creating, saying, impacting how we can serve. And I think this is such an important point because I have so many people ask me, what should I say? How should I create? They want to know about their expression. They want to show up in the world. They want to be seen. They want to add value, which is all beautiful, deep intentions. But we miss and skip that the the step to creation, as you were talking about, the unmanifest is the receptivity, is the listening, is the clearing out, which is why I love as part of my devotional practice, poetry and dance and pleasure. It's like I do the emptying out of the meditation. And then after all I want to do is write and create and play. And just for people listening that it gets to be that it gets it, it is. This is really fun. We've spoken a lot about awareness and focus and, and devotion, but it is ultimately, as we, as you've been saying, the most pleasurable thing, the most truly, deeply, wildly fulfilling. Um, and I just love that you brought up the energy of surprise because it brings us into awe. And how hysterical is it, y'all, that we look at this beautiful planet and human beings and we think that we have to try so hard like we're holding this reality together with our effort like I'm laughing at myself because that's this so for so long that's been a deep part of me and I'm like oh baby like really like we're holding even as human even as a species like we're holding this reality together it's all on us and it's like we just need to like get out of the way <laughs> reality is perfect look around y'all the intelligence is right here um for people who are perhaps also recovered or recovering tryhards or control freaks or um like efforting uh what has been most profound for you is that something you've ever experienced maybe you didn't come into this lifetime with that particular imprinting um and if it is even on a small level, what has helped you the most to let go, quote unquote, which people are always talking about surrender and let go. And what does that actually mean and how do we do it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so beautiful. I love what you shared. Uh, first, for, for people that feel like maybe they're just on the other end of the spectrum or pendulum where it's like that's not the current existence in which they're experiencing, just to make space for and water the water the seeds that you want to see blossom in your life. And if you give that time, and if you have just 30 minutes a day or 10 minutes a day to choose joy in um, some form of creation that has no result, you find play in what you're doing because you just want to do it. And a lot of times it just takes experience. Like if you haven't found things that really light you up in, in life, first off, I would have a deeper inquiry into realizing that everything can light you up in life if you have the right understanding and you engage with it from a holistic sense. But there's certain things that light us up and ignite our soul in a way that otherwise wouldn't have. And you just need to try more things to be able to experience that. So whether it's maybe you don't love guitar, but for some reason, when you play piano, it really lights you up. 
or for whatever reason you go into a certain pottery class and that becomes an incredible passion that you want to devote more time to. When you have those seeds that you water and then you develop competency and that skill and that and that process, there is a spectrum of learning that we go through. First, we start at this place where we're unconsciously incompetent at whatever we're doing. You've probably heard this, this moving through this as well. You go through that, you don't know what you don't know. You don't even know shoelaces exist, for example. The, <laughs> the conscious competence, um, or sorry, the conscious incompetence is that you realize the shoelaces exist. The conscious competence, the third level of learning, is like practicing tying the shoelace. And but you have to really think about it. There's the two loops and you tie it together. And then the unconscious competence is like you tying the shoe without even having to think about it. And that's when you develop a level of self-mastery in whatever you're pursuing or experiencing in life. And when you find your unique gift and you develop unconscious competence in that thing, mastery and intelligence, the nature of intelligence fuses through you. And that's where that energy of surprise comes in, where you create something that is beyond you. And I think that that's something that we're all here to do. I think we're here to create something that um, is uh, would not have been possible to be created without our unique fingerprint. And so, yeah, the process of letting go is is the process of awakening. Oftentimes, like I spoke to, we think that if we want to become more, we need to get more, we need to accumulate more. When you realize that who you are is always within you, then it's just removing the barriers that you've created, those artificial uh, barriers that are keeping you in the way from accessing more of spirit. And so it's in the unlearning, it's in the letting go. You don't actually find more joy sustainably by putting more clothes in your closet. It's by removing <laughs> what no longer serves. That's just mm -hmm. a weird example that came into mind, but use that as a metaphor <laughs> for your as a metaphor for your life. It's removing the, and making space for more of you to be in the energy of what you want to cultivate and bring forth in your life that actually allows you to have a more light kind of effervescent experience of of reality. So I don't know if that answered mm. your question, but that's what came to yes, mind. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I love the closet analogy too. It's just awesome though, like the intelligence of the universe that we're like, oh, wow, even awakening, even joy, it's actually really easy. All this other stuff is so hard. We make it so hard and it's the cosmic joke. You're like, ha, 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 hilarious. I've been trying so hard to get what's always been here. Um, yeah, there's a beauty There's a beauty to that. And I love that frequency of the surprise or the cosmic joke um, that we can access through these states of just like, wow, that was in me all along. And we all have the capacity for that. So yeah, I hope that's sinking in for everybody listening. We could go on forever because you are a well of wisdom. Speaking of a channel, um, but the time is now. So where can people find you and your work? Yeah, if people want to check out more of myself or my creations, what's going on, just uh, type in my name, Andre Duquam, or Know Thyself. And there is a library of media and podcasts that you can dive into. And I feel fortunate enough to be able to steward conversations that dive into a lot of these topics that we touched on today in more depth. And so um, feel free to check those out. And uh, yeah, that's really where you can find me. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, brother. I like to finish with rapid fire questions, although they're never rapid fire. It's more of like a tantric process oriented approach, but that's a really long title. So 
<laughs> with that in mind, are you ready for some questions? Oh, absolutely. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, biggest turn on? Knowing myself. Hmm. Biggest turn off? Not knowing myself. <laughs> Rapid fire. Like it. He's ready, y'all. <laughs> Favorite food? Like last mm. meal before you die food? Probably majedra and hummus from my mom's cooking. It's like a it's like an Arabic lentil dish, um, and it's incredible. But yeah, mom's cooking. I'd be happy to go out with that one. <laughs> Yum. Um, and if you could be any animal, what animal would you be? Mm. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think I've I've resonated with owls for I guess their self gnosis and. Uh, they're kind of effortless, wise presence. Uh, so I'd probably pick uh, probably pick an owl. Yes, love that. <laughs> love, love. If what is the key to successful relationships in your opinion? Mm. I think we spoke to this beautifully earlier. If you mm. want to truly be in a dynamic where you can allow the relationship to be a container for growth it first comes in taking full ownership and responsibility for your own process of awakening. And when you go in that process, it's not to be under the illusion that you need to be completely whole, realized and enlightened being before going into relationship, but you understand the context of what relationships serve and that everything in our life, all phenomena is impermanent, will arise and pass away. Just like relationships, they all have an expiration date. We will all pass one day, whether it's in divorce or separating in this life, or it's at some point when we die, relationships here are some of the most fruitful things that we're going to ever experience. And to cultivate that and to honor it and to give it the reverence that they deserve, allow us to go in those dynamics, to view the container as an opportunity for us to know ourselves and to have a lot of fun. When you find those qualities of values of not just taking the whole journey so seriously of where we're here to develop this self-gnosis and realize ourselves in this spiritual gas of big fire that can be a lot of for people, <laughs> it's to have fun and to really enjoy the process. And hopefully we can just leave the audience with a reminder that laughter is some of the most potent medicine and to be with somebody where you can laugh your way to the grave, I think is the greatest <laughs> I think is the greatest privilege we can have. Mm -hmm. Oh, honey, if you don't laugh, you cry. And sometimes you cry <laughs> while you laugh, but goddamn, yes, I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. All right, my love, we've come yeah. to that time. Thank you so much for your words, your wisdom, deep, deep appreciation for you and for all that you shared. Thank you so much. And I'm just so excited to continue to see your medicine get spread throughout the world. You have such a beautiful understanding framework and also feminine essence in which you infuse all your messages. And you're somebody that I enjoy hearing to, like you're pleasurable to hear to the ear. And uh, I just can't wait to see and continue to see your impact spread throughout the world and to continue to develop our friendship and just love you so much. Mm, love you, brother. More soon. That's it for today, Awakened One. And just a quick Thank you from me. Thank you for gifting us with your most precious resource, your time and attention so that we can make this world a more awakened place. And if we're not friends on Instagram yet, then we absolutely should be. So come on over and say hello at Angelica Alana and I'll see you there and see you next week.